Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 128, Space Radiation. I'm Gary Jordan. I'll be your host today. On this podcast, we bring in the experts, scientists, engineers, astronauts, all to let you know what's going on in the world of human spaceflight. This is the final part in our six-part series on the Human Research Program. We've gone into the weeds on every element of the program, and I hope you've enjoyed it. So today we're going to focus on space radiation. If you're familiar with the podcast, you know that we visited this topic a few times in the past, episodes 57, 64, and 75, for those interested. We'll readdress some of those topics today as a refresher. But today, we're going to investigate specifically what happens to the human body when exposed to radiation, a huge consideration when traveling beyond low Earth orbit, where the Earth itself does a decent job of protecting space travelers. Outside of the Earth's protection, though, space radiation is a big consideration for human spaceflight both for the human and for the vehicle itself. This element of human research program uh, focuses on modeling what can happen to the human body in these higher radiation environments uh, to help understand the risks and possible mitigations for deep space travel. So going into the details of this final element is Jason Weeks, element manager, and Dr. Steve Platts, acting element scientist and deputy chief scientist of the human research program. So here we go. What we're doing now to help understand space radiation and its effects on the human body. Enjoy. T minus five seconds and counting. Mark. Launch commit light circle There she goes. Houston, we have a podcast. Jason and Steve, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Really appreciate you coming on. Hey, you're welcome. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. So today we're going to talk about space radiation. This is the last in our series for human research. And honestly, I think it's one of the more interesting. Um, and I say that a little bit selfishly because here on the podcast, we've done already three episodes on radiation, but I still want to dive deeper. So this is going to be awesome. This is all about human research program, um, the space radiation element of that. So give us a little bit of uh, background on what we're going to be talking about today. How does space radiation affect the human body? Why are we focusing on this? Uh, there are a number of things that, that space radiation can do. Um, so if we think about cancer, that's obvious. You know, a lot of people will make that connection between increased radiation exposure and cancer. Now, we're not talking about um, the kinds of things that some people have seen on some of the science fiction movies. You know, we're not talking creature from the Black Lagoon. Mm -hmm. And no, we're not turning anyone into a banana or anything like some of the discussion uh, went with some of the other genetic studies. But it could potentially increase the risk of getting cancer down the road. And that's one of the things we want to investigate. Are we increasing that risk for the astronauts? Other things can can be affected to uh, the, the brain um, mm. and how that happens is a collaboration between us and one of the other elements here at JSC. And then finally, the cardiovascular system. It's known that the cardiovascular system is sensitive to some of the products that radiation produces in the tissues. So uh, reactive oxygen species can lead to inflammation. We know that that's bad for the heart. And so one of the, the risks that we're working on is the, uh, the risk of cardiovascular disease uh, due to space flight. Hmm. So Steve, tell me about your background. Um, 
just you know, how how did you end up in in this role? What's your background for, and what are you studying, and what's particularly interesting about this space radiation? Yeah, it's funny you ask that because I just ended with cardiovascular, and I'm actually a cardiovascular physiologist by training. All right. I went to Texas A&M for my PhD, and then the University of Virginia for my research fellowship. Um, and then after my research fellowship, I was looking for for a job, and there was an advertisement at experimental biology. I went to the job fair. Because um, my grant at the University of Virginia was running out. And they said they needed a vascular physiologist at NASA. So I'm like, huh, NASA. That sounds kind of interesting. Hmm. Um, so I checked it out, and I applied for the job, and I got the job. So I started out by running the cardiovascular laboratory here at Johnson Space Center. And then over the years, I've kind of moved out of the doing the research phase to the managing the research phase. So I currently serve as the deputy chief scientist for the human research program mm-hmm. and relevant to, to this podcast is I'm the acting element scientist for space radiation. So the, the element scientists left some time ago mm-hmm. and um, the element needed some science input and guidance. And so I've been put in this position to help Jason out and to, to help the team out uh, for, you know, strategic thinking and, and, you know, what's the science and help lead the other scientists in the group, so that's the role I'm playing here. Which is super valuable, so yeah, that's awesome. Jason, what about you, your background? So I'm not a uh, scientist by training, and never claim to be. Um, I've got a lot of um, experience in different things across NASA that came, you know, that's helped me come to this job, and I think uh, do, do a good job. So I started off as a management analyst within the chief, chief, uh, chief financial officers and uh, moved from there to be the chief of staff for systems engineering integration within the Constellation program. And we were doing a horizontal and vertical integration across uh, the program. And I moved over to the docking system where I helped with uh, project management and then uh, dabbled in advanced technology, nanotechnology for structural engineering. Wow, very technical management and leadership there so there's a lot to, there's a lot of different disciplines to pull from but it's really all about the management part of things Correct. Like. Yes. and he's being modest he, he just <laughs> talked about some of his work he didn't tell you he has two master's degrees all right and so he is uh well versed on on all things nasa so well tell me what about what it takes to run something like this then this element of human research how is this different from some of the other things that you've done before so going from an engineering perspective, you, you are building a widget and you get a X amount of budget, you get X amount of schedule. Um, here you can't do research on a fixed schedule. Mm. Um, you, can't, you can't do science and say I'm going to have a breakthrough in 4.2 years and I'm gonna, that's going to lead to the X, that's going to lead to Y to, D, to Z. That'd be nice. Um, it yeah, you can nice. say that. It's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, it'd, it. it'd be nice. So that was the biggest challenge was to move from a um, like a Gantt chart philosophy to mm. a science philosophy. And I'm surrounded by wonderful, great people that uh, make my job a lot easier than it probably uh, seems sometimes. Um, just for the fact that we're able to all work together. Like, you know, Steve and I are complementary in the approach that we take to help the mitigate. Yeah, definitely for the space radiation element, but I know you being the uh, deputy chief science for HRP, and we've talked about this a bunch of um, times on just the, some of the previous human research uh, episodes, mm-hmm. this this level of integration, you talked about working with teams, yes. but the integration, not only with space radiation, but how is space radiation playing playing its role in other elements and other parts uh, of human that's research? A, that's a great point to bring up because it's something that we're 
pushing hard on right now, um, harder than ever, that integration. So we've we've talked about, and this happens at universities, it happens in industry, you end up with these silos. And so you have groups who kind of guard their turf and have their territory and have their budget, and they're all separate. And that has happened here at NASA where we have different elements want to do their thing and you know just kind of keep everything else at arm's distance. What we've been working on for the past few years and we're getting pretty good at is breaking down those silos and integrating more. For example, I mentioned that that radiation can have an effect on the, the central nervous system of the brain. Mm-hmm. And so all of the work being done on that now is in collaboration with the human factors and behavioral performance element. And so they're concerned with how the brain's working. We're concerned with how the brain's being affected. And so we're working together to try and answer that question, what's going on in space? And we're doing the same thing with um, human health countermeasures. Mm-hmm. And so the cardiovascular system, you know, you can think of, well, why are radiation people studying the cardiovascular system? Well, we're studying the radiation effects on the cardiovascular system. HHC studies the cardiovascular system. So we're working together to make sure we're addressing it from all the right angles. How are we looking at things? We look at things a little differently, but we do complement each other. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a that's a new collaboration where that risk has just been put together and we're working very closely with the folks over in HHC to make sure that that risk gets addressed in all the right ways, with all the right eyes, with all the right experiments to, to get the best outcome possible. Now, you had to start somewhere, right? Because mm-hmm. you're thinking about radiation and all of these different things that it can affect, but obviously that didn't just come out of nowhere. You're like, oh, we need to be looking at this. There has to be some some history. So what's what's some of the background with, with this particular element, with space radiation? What have we done in the past when it comes to studying the effects of radiation and how it affects the human body? You want to start that, Jason? Yeah, so um, as, we, as we started, we didn't have the benefit of ISS. Mm. Right. So we, you know, as ISS come on board, we were able to start looking at, you know, looking at the radiation from, you know, from the from the person there. We started doing, you know, dosimetry there. You know, Mm. as we know, we we spoke about, you know, the the astronauts are similar in that they're like a, you know, the radiation technologist or nuclear engineer worker. They have dosimeters on when they're on ISS and uh, they sort of monitor the environment uh the shrag people the space radiation analysis group mm-hmm. um they work on detectors to understand the exposure um and as we moved along we started to research you know for for our pers- perspective chromosome aberrations you know the dna damage to the astronauts on board space station um the uh, f- what what happens to food and pharmacology as it's on on iss um, you know these different things that we're researching to try to find out and we're using that on now we're going to use the NSRL to be able to test countermeasures you know so and then we you know we think about our long-term goal is ISS moon Mars ah. and so we use ISS as a test bed but it's within the Earth's magnetosphere so you're not going to get a true um, GCR environment on ISS. You yeah, know, they're so protected. F- yeah, so oh. for like a single mission, right, we think about a person stays on there for six months, they get about one-tenth of the mission exposure of, uh, of uh, a Mars mission. And so as you get more, as you stay longer these year missions, 
they get in a they have a dose rate within them that after a year gets to about be about a third of what a mars mission would be yeah and so you you start to add you know added it yeah the th- idea with radiation so just real quick yeah um Imagine you're out in the sun, and so you go out in the sun for 10 minutes, and then you come back, especially here in Texas, you know, not too bad. You're okay. You go out in the sun for an hour with no sunscreen or anything, and what's going to happen, right? You're going to get a burn, Mm -hmm. um, or you're going to feel some effects. And so that's from UV radiation, but, you know, the ionizing radiation that we're talking about isn't all that different. So it's exposure, and so Jason was saying, talking about dose and dose rate. Those are really what determine the effects uh, that's going on. If you get a if you get a very short exposure of a very low dose, you know your body's going to be able to to deal with that right away. Mm-hmm. But if it's when you get these longer exposures, longer time, and higher doses, um, like he said, Mars is ten times the dose that the current astronauts get um, on the space station. So you can understand where, gee, that's that's more than than what we've studied, and so we done a lot of research initially on what is the effect for shuttle duration missions and then with the station okay we're doing a lot of research on shuttle duration uh, station duration mission so six months or so ah but now we're talking about going to mars three plus years hmm. and no magnetosphere to protect you um, you're beyond the Van Allen belt. You're going to get exposed to different things. Jason mentioned GCR, which is galactic cosmic radiation. So that's much more complex than if you're just getting an X-ray or if you're uh, having exposure from gamma radiation or something. And so it's it's complex, it's complicated, and it can do more damage than, than the uh, types of radiation that you might normally be exposed to here on Earth. So it's not just more radiation or or a longer exposure it's also different kinds of radiation right? that explains why you were mentioning the space station when it, when you talked about space radiation you can't just use radiation models on the ground there's this specific type this galactic cosmic rays that you're talking about so you have to build you have to collect data you said you're you're using dosimeters um just kind of measuring the environment it seems like you're investigating multiple different areas of that just the environment itself a you said its effect on people its its effect on food but really you need it sounds like you need that space environment to truly get the data for these specific ones these galactic cosmic rays yeah and and that's a great point yeah and what part of what um steve and uh dr fogarty talk about is you know, you're going to experience the thing as a whole body. You're not going to experience, the, you know, the GCR in the brain, and that that's it. You're not going to experience isolation, confinement. You're not going to experience this. You're going to experience all of these stresses at the same time. And so, you know, what are they going to, what are they experiencing? And so, you know, from as you learn more, as we learn more on the ground, we learn more on ISS. You know, there's there's a couple of things that we look at are. Is space radiation, is it additive? You know, does it, the radiation add to add on to microgravity or alter gravity? Is it, does it have synergistic responses? You know, is it synergistic and the radiation can cause even larger effects with, with either one or two of them alone or combined? Or is it an, uh, antagonistic to where they may actually cause, you see, an, kind of a decrease? because they're the the way they're working so these are the things as we learn more we're able to 
better understand what we're going to face on a three-year mission. It's not like a six-month or one-year. I mean, these guys are going to be gone for three years. Yeah. And that's – I'm getting a better feel for understanding not only is it just – I was – you know, trying to think maybe maybe it's exclusively the galactic cosmic ray, but use the word synergistic. It's it's all of these different factors. It's a number of different stressors because that is the reality of space flight. The reality mm-hmm. is that you're going to get blasted from all different areas and you have all these different areas. Uh, Steve, you mentioned before this integration with all these different components of human research, mm-hmm. uh, thinking about the human health countermeasures, thinking about right. the human performance, um, right. These all these different elements, and, and understanding the totality of the stressors on the human body is sounds yeah. important to that. Yeah, we like to think of it more as the environment of spaceflight. Yeah. Um, in kind of the older days, we used to think about it as microgravity. So we would talk about the microgravity environment, but that's not really just it. It's the whole environment of spaceflight. So that includes microgravity. That includes space radiation. That includes isolation and confinement. That has a big psychological stress. And that psychological stress gets converted by the body into a stress response and if you look at the mechanisms for that stress response, they're very similar to the mechanisms that we see from radiation or from microgravity. So we, we have this idea of potentially a common pathway. So is there a, a, a pathway by which all the different effects or many of the effects of spaceflight kind of come together into a bottleneck and then cause the responses that we see? And if there is, that's a great place for us to do research because we can get more bang for our buck by researching within that pathway. So that's a field of research we're working on right now. Hmm. Is there a common pathway? And if there is, what is it? Now, some of us, you know, think we might have an idea what what might be going on, but, you know, it's just a hypothesis. And so we're working on that research right now. So that's pretty exciting part is getting all those things together, like you were talking about the integration, getting lots of different people thinking about the same thing from a slightly different viewpoint, and then how can we solve those issues? Because our goal really is all the same. We want to keep the astronauts as healthy as possible. Hmm. We want to keep them safe. We want to come up with countermeasures that can treat any issues they have. And we also want to figure out what potential issues there are so that we can prevent them. Hmm. Um, and so it's a it's more holistic medical approach to the astronauts. It's not just treating issues, it's preventing issues. So it's preventative medicine and those kind of things. Um, and we work with the, the medical folks quite a bit, too, on, and, along and, those lines. And just to be clear, that there are two types of radiation. We, we talk GCR because that's, you know, the big, that's the, you know, the, the heavy, you know, the heavy uh, penetrating protons, but we also have solar particle events. Oh, and right. so they're from, you know, they're so from sun the, flares. Yeah, yeah sun yeah. flares, and they act in a, you know, in a yin and a yang effect where the solar particle events, when you're in a, in the high part of it, the GCR is low, and when the solar particle event uh, cycle is low, GCR is going to be high. So you use that when you're doing the mission planning. You want to go and do the worst, you know, the worst of it during the solar max because then GCR is going to be less. Hmm. Yeah. That's right. But there's um, th- there can be uh, events, I guess, solar events, like a solar flare right. that could cause even more issues. And, right? and that's where we spoke earlier with the uh, Space Radiation Analysis Group. They're kind of like the, uh, the sister organization to us. Mm-hmm. Um, they're looking at the operations on ISS right now, and they're doing a lot of space weather um, forecasting to where they've got it down pretty well to where 
there may be one or two events that might pop out, but they, you know, for the most part, they understand what's coming and they're getting better and better at understanding what that is. So, t so tell me about the full scope of, of um, space radiation, Jason. The way that uh, you know we have this element of human research, and we're focusing on space radiation, how it affects the human body. What is the scope? What are the things that are important to you? Where are you putting your resources in terms of studying in these places and working with these researchers? And the full scope of, of what you're what you're doing. So the the good thing about us is we touch. Um, a plethora of universities out all, all across the US. We also partner with, um, we couldn't be where we are today without the terrestrial research. We have, you know, we work with NIH, we work with uh, the FDA, we're working with uh, National, National Cancer Institute, and, um, you know, we use all of this information as the body of knowledge grows. Um, to go into, um, we take that data and apply, you know, try to get, do mitigation and testing within, uh, at the NSRL to where we can use that um, because not everything terrestrially go, will go to space and work 100% like it does on Earth. Yeah. So we have to take this works and we, we can repurpose this to go to NSRL and test it. Does the mitigator work the same within a GCR environment as it would on Earth? If it does, that's great. We can do more testing and we can, you know, we can move up. We use an FDA animal rule to where we can't just go and irradiate a human. Hmm. You know, that, that's, that's, that's not... Uh, yeah, the IRB frowns on that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's looked <laughs> down why. upon. Yep. Right? Yeah, right. So we have to take, a, take a, uh, an approach to where we can ultimately translate between rodents and, or whatever to humans hmm. um, to where we can give them the best chance uh, to thrive in, in the space environment. Hey, can you give the listeners a little more information on NSRL and what that means? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, so I'll go through the little spiel real quick. So NSRL was commissioned in 2003. It's a joint, we fund the operations and it's managed by the Brookhaven Lab for Department of Energy in uh, Brookhaven, New York. Mm. Um, let's see, it operates about 1,200 hours a year. Uh, we have three runs, a spring, uh, summer, and fall. Um, and what we did back, back uh, several years ago, as the lander went to, uh, went to Mars, we were able to get the data from the dosimeter there and understand what that environment was, what the actual environment from the Earth to the Mars looks like based on that dosimeter. And the, the team, uh, at NSRL started working on um, how do I go from just doing an individual ion which is usually what happens pretty much around the world. I can go to um, Chiba and, and do, a, do an experiment and I can get a proton or a helium or an ion. Um, but we know that's not the environment. We've got a lot of good information from 30, 40 years of research but we understand we're going to galactic cosmic radiation. So we started um, working on a GCR sim. And hmm. 18, summer of 18 was the first time we did a run using a galactic cosmic radiation simulator. So what that does, we're able to run back to back to back to back um, 33 ions within 90 minutes. So we're able to create, 
or simulate the GCR environment on Earth. And it's the only place on Earth that can be this can be done. So it's the next step. Um, it really is an evolutionary step to go from single ion to 30, you know, 33, 30, you know, 32, 33 ions. You're essentially getting a periodic table um, through a 90-minute to where we can look at what happens with a chronic exposure. Hmm. That's what we're looking at. We're not looking at um, a, six, a six month or a year. We're looking at a chronic exposure. What does that do to the body? Oh. Um, so it really is cutting edge. Yeah, and to follow up on that, um, think about what events we have here on Earth that we can use to, to simulate or at least to, to model spaceflight radiation. So a lot of the information that we have is from um, Hiroshima, so atomic bomb survivors, right? Mm -hmm. That was a one-time event, uh, radiation exposure. We have um, nuclear workers. We have all these other things. Um, and those go into models. We have animal work. Those go into models. Um, but you can't, as we were joking earlier, you can't irradiate a human. Mm. However, if you have humans who are being treated with radiation for cancer, you are essentially irradiating a human. Uh, and if we can get them to volunteer for research studies, then we can get something out of a bad situation. And so we have two of those studies going on right now at MD Anderson Cancer Center. We have a study looking at the cardiovascular system and we have a, a study looking at the central nervous system. And they're both using cancer patients who are being treated for, for various cancers in the head, neck, and thorax and we are looking at how those exposures are affecting the heart and are affecting the brain. So we're not just using animal models. We're not just using computer modeling. We're doing the best we can to get human research in, in, a, in an ethical and safe way. And, um, you know, we're making big leaps in, in that category. Jason's mentioned GCR a few times, and, and we can't emphasize enough how important that is mm. because a lot of like i said a lot of our historical research is single ion or it's single exposure um, imagine think about exposures and so you get something once and so the way people have simulated space radiation is they've given the entire dose you get in a mission at one time mm. in a few minutes or an hour or something like that now imagine the difference that your body's going to see if you were to give it a little bit every day or a little bit every week over the course of a much longer time point the biological difference is huge because you have all these internal repair mechanisms that your cells use to repair dna and to fix organelles that are that are not working properly or to take cells out that are not functioning properly you know you the average person actually develops cancer many times in their life but most of the time your body gets rid of it Right? Your natural immune responses get rid of that cancer cell or those cancer cells before they ever become an issue. And so for, chron for chronic, which is what our astronauts will see over the course of many years, you know, it's quite different. And so until recently, we haven't been able to take advantage of that. We've had to use mock computer modeling to say, okay, from a theoretical basis, taking this bolus or this one-time dose what do we think is going to happen if we were to spread it out? Now we can actually 
spread it out. Mm-hmm. And we have a, another facility at uh, Colorado State that we use where they can give chronic low doses and they have a source and it just gives off a constant, well, relatively constant because you have decay um, dose and they, they modify that so that we keep the same dose every day. And then we can get uh, data on long, low exposures, these chronic exposures that are going to be more similar to what we're going to see in a long-duration space flight. So we're getting better and better and better. We're getting more relevant. We're getting more space-like. We're not having to extrapolate as much. And um, it's just, it's a very exciting time for us. And um, we're looking forward to all the things we can do in the future. And so I think one of the things that that Steve hit on was the uh, radiation quality effects and just for for what that is is as we said we got the 32 30, you know we got those ions not every ion is created equal and so what we have to do is look at what that we have to make it equivalent so what we have is we, we look at an ion for example and the, an iron will go through you and the, the it will be 0.5 gray is what the 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 is what goes through your body but you won't you may get a gamma ray but it won't be this it won't feel the same because they're weighted different so when we look at 0.5 gray we have to look in totality of what are the ions so you may feel um a 0.5 gray ion you may get a 0.5 gray uh uh silicon or helium and it feel a lot less you may get another one and it's going to feel more so mm-hmm. we have to take that in it's an omnipresent uh gcr so you're going to get it 360 degrees the whole time you're in deep space and so it, we have to look at these unique challenges that we're facing yeah i'm hearing when it comes to trying to i mean the goal here is to have the best understanding of what the space environment is like and to understand what it's doing to the human body. It sounds like when it comes to researching this, data over long periods of time seems to be a very important thing. Uh, these you, you keep talking about uh, chronic was the, was the word. Yep. And then it sounds like making sure that the models, particularly here on the ground, are representative of what is truly out in space. So so getting that accuracy, yes. it sounds like just a lot of data collection. It, there is, there yeah. is, and there has been for quite some time. Yeah, yep. yeah, that's a lot of different rays. So, um, so it sounds like when it comes to trying to understand space radiation, there's a lot that has to do with gathering data over long periods of time, this, this long data collection mm-hmm. um, uh, to understand this because that's really truly representative of what it's like to travel through space. You're going to be there for a long time. And then, Jason, you mentioned this uh, trying to best model all of the different parts. You, you mentioned all of the different ions and making sure that that's representative of what you're actually going to see in space. We have a lot of data collection on the space station, so there's there's a lot that we can learn there. I know going forward, though, we're talking about this new program called Artemis. Mm-hmm. The moon is a different radiation environment from low earth orbit yes what is it that we are looking forward to doing there so the moon is actually much more mars like Hmm. than low earth orbit is so you will get more galactic cosmic radiation um i think the estimates are it's about half of what we might see when we're when we're going to mars um so it's actually a great place to look at radiation so our idea 
has been we're going to use the moon as an analog for Mars, just like right now we're using the space station as an analog for the moon and for Mars. Mm. And so it's always that forward-looking. What are, what are we going to be doing next? What do we have to protect for next? And so one kind of, it might sound like a crazy idea that we came up with, but um, I think in the long run it could be helpful is having a vivarium on the moon, right? Sounds kind of nutty, like, well, why would we want to do that? But think about this. And so we do a lot of research with animal models. Imagine if we have the animal models on the moon getting exposed to the reduced gravity every day, constantly. And then also, if we vary the shielding in this habitat, we could end up with these animal models being exposed to different levels of GCR all at the same time. Hmm. And then if we leave them there long enough, that really will be the best simulation of what's going to happen in a trip to and returning from Mars. So we can get a lot of information out of the lunar exposures to predict what we're going to see in Mars. Because we don't want to discover what Mars is going to be like when we get to Mars. We need to know way beforehand. And so we're going to have to use the moon as an analog. And, and we think we have some ways that we can really do that. Uh, it's going to be challenging. A lot of things we do here at NASA are challenging. Sure. Uh, but we're confident that, that we can take advantage of that. And then obviously we'll be studying the astronauts too. Um, and then you think more of the phase two of what they've talked about for Artemis is the longer duration stays on the moon and potentially uh, in the future uh, permanent presence on the moon. Yeah. Uh, if we have those things, we will be there looking at the exposure, not just to keep those astronauts safe, but also, again, looking forward to, okay, how can we extrapolate this out? How can we use this data and this information to help our astronauts who are going to be going to Mars? And that'll and it'll be wonderful to be able to help us from a modeling perspective, hmm. right? We have, the, we have the models on Earth that we think, you know, we've validated our models on ISS. And so now we can extrapolate those to the moon. And then once we really get to the moon, we can, ver we can validate the models. Then yeah. we can use that and say, okay, we thought it was going to be X. We got to the moon and it was Y. Now let's extrapolate that now that we because we know the environment of the of Mars of of Mars now what if now we validated it to the moon what does it say about Mars and so we'd have enough time in there to understand what we're getting to like Steve said we don't want to get to Mars and realize oh wow there really are there really are black swan things that we could we could have done on the the moon and ISS to you know prevent something yeah, it sounds like, you know, like I was thinking, Steve, when you were mentioning the moon and, and these types of tests, I was like, oh, man, that's the ultimate, that's the ultimate simulation. That's the ultimate model. That would be, that would be your, your Mars, your Mars data. But from Jason, what you're saying, it, it's, it, you can't just do that one thing. It sounds like you need to cross reference and you, and you have all this other available data to make sure that everything is lining up in your predictions for what ultimately will be in Mars. And you mentioned dosimeters on Mars too, so you got that going mm -hmm. for you. So there, you have all of these things together gives you the best model. Yep. yep. Yeah. And then let's not forget about Gateway. So we're gonna, That's right. we're gonna have dosimetry aboard Gateway as well, um, helping us look at uh, the exposures there and that's going to be orbiting the moon yes mm -hmm. yes and that's even though it's it's probably only going to be um, occupied for parts of the year mm -hmm. we can put dosimetry on board that will stay there 
long term so we can get those long long exposures you know years hopefully yeah. and again that's more information we have about gcr if we do experience any solar flares and we have solar particle events we'll know that because we can we can predict those but we're not great at the timing for predicting them mm. and so but we know when they happen and so we'll be able to tell okay we have this dose but we know this amount of it is from the solar particle event the rest of it here is from galactic cosmic radiation and then we'll have a, a better feel for that and then plug that into the computational modeling the predictive modeling for what mars then is going to look like so we're we're taking the approach of utilizing every every program every analog that we can to get to the ultimate uh, goal of getting to mars hmm. uh, kind of sticking with the theme of of rounding out all of these types of research to uh with the ultimate goal being mars and understanding and modeling what's what's happening there i want to kind of zoom back back down to the nsrl we mentioned it a couple of times nasa space radiation laboratory yes. um, what we're doing there specifically and who is involved and what are the things we're we're looking at in this lab this it sounded particularly interesting because you mentioned it was the only it was the only lab on the earth that can simulate these galactic cosmic rays and has all of these different ions being thrown at you so what what exactly is is going on in the lab so we're doing there's a lot of different things going on in the lab so it's not just us going there doing doing that we have um people from orion going and testing um electronics because oh. once you get past you know once you get past the low earth orbit you are gonna the radiation will play a factor in electronics so they go and test the test the, the electronics how that's going to do they go there and test the revalidate the dosimeters that they're getting on iss they go and validate those um, we have um, space biology that comes there and does testing. Mm -hmm. We have um, other 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 um, agencies. We have uh, Canadian Space Agency come. We have um, individual universities come and test uh, radiation or ions for plants for um, you know who whoever may you know whoever can, wants to come. Uh, we can work work with that. Yeah, it's like, how, how does space radiation affect this thing? How does it affect this mm -hmm. thing? How does it affect this thing? Yeah, you yep. can put anything. Because, you know, and the good, the good thing is with the expansion of um, all of these startups, SpaceX, Virgin Galactic, these other folks that want to go, go to the moon, they want to go to Mars, um, it mm. builds an, a mini eco-environment of people who want to get out there and be on the cutting edge of what's going to happen in space. Mm. And so we, again, we will get data from that that can only help us. The more data can, can only help us understand what, we, what we're going into. Yeah. So, I mean, thinking about that, it sounds, like, it sounds like there's still a lot of data gathering to fully understand what's going to happen. But um, things that we need to be careful, that we can say right now, we need to be careful of this when we're on route, let's, let's, let's say Mars, for example. We are on route to Mars. What do we have to be careful of? What, what do we have to understand what's happening what, in terms of the environment of space and what's happening to the astronauts? You know, how much the whole duration of a Mars mission, that could be three years-ish, mm -hmm. maybe. So what, what do we understand now? What are the things we have to look, for, look out for? Well, we know that, that the predicted radiation exposure will increase the risk 
um, for some cancers. And so we are working on understanding what those cancers might be because as we've talked several times here, uh, galactic cosmic radiation is different than a lot of the radiation exposures you have here on Earth. So does that difference um, equate to a different type of cancer that you might get? Um, And again, we're not talking about, you know, the astronauts are on orbit and, you know, they're getting cancer while they're there. No, that's not what's happening at all. It's their long-term risk of getting cancer is elevated. And that's what we're trying to figure out. And then what type of cancer would that be? And then what are some of the countermeasures? We're already doing countermeasure work. Hmm. And so we're looking at, um, there's a neat study looking at aspirin. Um, And so it's been shown in the literature that if you give aspirin after uh, an exposure to radiation, you can reduce the risk of certain kinds of cancer by a huge percentage. I believe it was over 40%. Um, wow. And that's massive. That's significant. Um, and so we're sponsoring studies looking at aspirin. Now, what would that mechanism be? Well, you can just, without having any data on that, you can imagine, well, what is aspirin used for? It's used as an anti-inflammatory. So are we talking about that inflammatory issue again? Hmm. Right. Um, and there are other other countermeasures we're working on. We're working on potentially uh, soliciting for a whole battery of countermeasures in the near future. Um, so we're already working on that. We're already working on ways to prevent anything that might happen. And again, prevention is better than treatment. No one wants anything mm-hmm. untoward to happen uh, to an astronaut. And again, um, we're not doing this in a silo. You know, we're right, right. we're working with the terrestrial because we again we are gonna learn from the MD Anderson, we are going to learn from NIH, FDA, BARDA, who, you know, whichever um, alphabet soup that we <laughs> you want to add, um, if they're doing research, we try to keep up with the literature and use that mm-hmm. to, to understand or grow our body of knowledge. Hmm. So, so along those lines, we'll sort of wrap up with, with this. It sounds like, what, what, based on what we've discussed today, there is so much work ahead to help kind of model all these things that we have great ideas based on what we think we understand and, and what we hope to continue research into to help better understand. What excites you the most about some of the upcoming research with space radiation and some of the missions coming up for NASA that'll help to kind of flesh out some of these ideas? Go ahead. Okay, I'll go first. Um, I think the idea of doing the radiation experiments on the moon, to me, is the most, I mean, that's incredibly exciting um, and allows your imagination to kind of run wild. And just imagine the things you can do when you're actually in the environment um, and you're not having to simulate something it, it's there that's gcr those are spes that you're getting exposed to um it's just the the real world real time um work that we're going to be able to do when we're in that environment and then also that gives us greater purpose for being there hmm. right that, that gives us the the idea that we're using that to move forward to get to mars so for me personally, the idea of, of being on the moon and doing research on the moon that helps us do further exploration is the most exciting. 
And see, I, I do enjoy um, the idea of doing the whole body radiation and looking at all the different stresses at the, at the same time. Um, from, my, from my side of the equation of, of the two of us, I look forward to um, more working with outside people that are not necessarily inherent to NASA. Um, you know what is what is ESA doing? Can I work with JAXA more on the uh, RERF facility? Can I you know can I work with uh, you know the Russians more? Can can we build more collaborations because you know more collaborations to me would will help us move the schedule to the left. Uh, go back to schedule schedule to the left and um, to increase our body of knowledge more. And again, I go, I go back to more knowledge is better. Mm -hmm. That is wonderful. Yeah, it's a very exciting time coming up. I definitely appreciate all, everything we've talked about today for space radiation. It sounds like it, it's it's more complicated than maybe I think people think. It sounds very simple, space radiation. But there's just so many different elements to this, and mm -hmm. getting the best data is, is super important. Yep. So to the both of you, Jason and Steve, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and talking about space radiation. Oh, thank you. Welcome. Yeah, sir. thank you for having us. Yeah, pleasure. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Really interesting conversation we had with Jason Weeks and Steve Platts today on space radiation. If you'd like to learn more specifically on space radiation, there is an ebook on their site. You go to nasa.gov HRP, click on the element that is space radiation, and then they have a downloadable ebook uh, where you can go into really all of the weeds of everything that we've talked about today and even more. If you like podcasts, nasa.gov slash podcasts. There's ours. Houston, we have a podcast. You can go through a whole list of episodes in no particular order, or you can check out some of the many other podcasts we have at NASA. We are on the NASA Johnson Space Center pages of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform to submit an idea for the show. Just make sure to mention is for Houston. We have a podcast. This episode was recorded on December 10th, 2019. Thanks to Alex Perryman, Pat Ryan, Norm Moran, Belinda Polito, Brett Redden, Emily Malden, and the Human Research Program team for helping to bring this all together. And thanks again to Jason Weeks and Steve Platts for taking the time to come on the show. That wraps up, wraps up our series on the Human Research Program. I hope you enjoyed it. Give us a rating and feedback on whatever platform you're listening to. Tell us how we did. We'll be back next week with your regularly scheduled programming. <laughs>